Congress must also act to fix, however, our horrible, obsolete, weak, pathetic immigration laws. The White House said in a statement that the number of overstays is undermining the rule of law and straining resources that are needed to address the crisis at our southern border. According to the DHS, more than 54 million people entered the U.S. on a temporary visa during fiscal year 2018. Roughly 1% of those, or more than 569,000, are believed to have remained after their visa expired. Visa overstays. Today, Erickson Immigration Group's attorney, Crystal Kearse, gives her full analysis on what this administration may do to enforce harsher penalties for recipients who overstay their visa. I'm Ian Gaines. Come join us beyond borders. So welcome to Immigration Nerds. Today we have a back-to-back guest, Crystal Kearse. Thank you for coming on again. Thank you for having me again. It's an honor to be here. Great. Thank you. So in the latest news, uh, the administration has came up with a memo that will actually increase the penalties for visa overstays. In a presidential memorandum signed Monday, President Trump gave Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and other cabinet officials 120 days to come up with options to reduce non-immigrant visa overstays. And to get understanding, can you tell us a little bit about what typically happens when a foreign national overstays their visa? Yes. So this is actually a very interesting analysis that I'm going to try and break down as simply as possible for our listeners. So when foreign nationals enter and exit the United States, CBP will track those entry and departures, and they do it by air, land, and sea. It's most accurate by air and sea, uh, less accurate by land. And Mm. the reason for that, the way in which CBP, which is the Customs and Border Protection, obtains this information is that airlines and um, sea carriers, Mm -hmm. uh, crews, for instance, are required to submit their passenger manifests to CBP. And CBP takes that information and compares it against their data, and that Mm. issues these entry and departure records. What's a passenger manifest? So when you board a plane, you have a Mm -hmm. plane ticket. That plane ticket is on the airline's list of passengers that they expect to check in. Okay. So once you've checked in, they check you on the list and that information pretty much as soon as the plane takes off goes over to CBP. So by the time that you land in the United States, that information is already in our system. Already documented. Right. So you you do not have that when you're looking at a land entry because people are coming in through cars. There's no pre-registration for entering the United States. We also have uh, some pedestrian entries to the United States. So that's just a little bit more difficult to track. Sure. Um, But in general, that's how they, you know, track this uh, information. And it certainly isn't a perfect system, but they are constantly strengthening the system. And so right now they're doing a pilot program for a uh, biometrics-based departure program. Essentially, Mm. it's a little over my head technically, but what happens is at these airports that have initiated this pilot program, they'll take a live photo of passengers and compare that against the photos that they already have in their biometrics data to determine who is entering and exiting. So apparently it's a lot more accurate. Um, Right. And so... Like the facial recognition. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's way over my head. Yeah. (laughs) That's beyond the scope of this particular episode. But I understand. 
<laughs> yeah, so um, so it's, it's becoming a bit more accurate, which is great for this uh, discussion here today so that we can track who has overstayed their time in the United States. Mm-hmm. So the analysis doesn't end there, though, because a lot of foreign nationals, when they enter the United States, they don't necessarily depart or they don't depart right away. Mm-hmm. A lot of cases, individuals will either extend their status in the United States or they'll change to a different status in the United States, mm-hmm. or they might you know, file for uh, adjust their status to a green card application, for sure. instance. Uh, so what they do there is they'll compare the CBP entry and exit data with USCIS's application system to determine, okay, of those who were supposed to depart, who, you know, filed some sort of application and now is in a different status that has given them an extended stay in the United States. But what I was most interested in in learning about this process is how does the system handle pending applications? So we have seen over the last several years um, a a really big increase in the length of time that applications and petitions pend with USCIS. So as long, typically, as long as you file Um, an application timely so that you're not already out of status when you're filing, you can remain in the United States while your application is pending. So I'm curious to know how these lists deal with those applications that are still pending, because if those are considered as overstays, and this is an over-inclusive list that doesn't really line up with who is actually here out of status in the United States. Right. So particularly you're saying, like if somebody files an extension, um, that's on time, but their I-94 expires, mm-hmm. um, what happens in that sort of case? And they haven't really addressed that. So the report that all of this um, information is based on doesn't specify what happens to those applications. Right. It, it says that they check the data based on those who have already adjusted status uh, sure. in the past tense, meaning mm-hmm. I would assume that those cases are already adjudicated, but I'm not sure. Um, right. Just kind of a, a question out in the air. Right. And then they should probably, they will uh, most likely bring more to light in those sort of situations as it moves forward, probably. Yes. I assume as the whole system becomes more efficient and accurate, these situations will be taken into consideration. Right. So um, after all of that analysis, mm-hmm. what happens is we're left with what is called a suspected in-country overstay list. And that list is screened by the Immigration and Customs Enforcement, which is ICE, to determine priority of these violations uh, with who poses any sort of national security or public safety concerns to kind of start the next process Mm -hmm. uh, and the next stage of the process. Sure. Um, So can you tell us a little bit of how they are currently being penalized? And is there any pathway of recourse? Yes. So once an individual has overstayed his or her, her visa, generally they become deportable. Uh, so ICE might detain them and put them in through uh, immigration court proceedings uh, to go through a removal proceeding. If the individual is from a country that participates in the visa waiver program, they may lose their ability to participate in that program, which essentially allows individuals from visa waiver designated countries to come to the to the United States as either a business visitor or a tourist for up to 90 days without a visa. So it's an easier Mm -hmm. entry and exit. Um, So that's one of the penalties. And then 
the biggest penalties that we talk about in immigration are the three and 10 year bars. So mm -hmm. if you're in the United States unlawfully and you're accruing what's called unlawful presence and you have 180 days of unlawful presence, you if you leave the United States, that will trigger a three-year bar from re-entering the United States. Okay. Similarly, if you have accrued up to a year worth of unlawful presence, that will result in a 10-year bar. So those are pretty mm. harsh penalties. Um, but you know, as you had asked, there is a waiver available. If you mm. have a U.S. citizen or lawful permanent resident spouse or parent, and you can show that your removal from the United States will cause that U.S. citizen or lawful permanent resident extreme hardship, mm. meaning being separated or if they have to come follow you to your country of nationality, um, that it would cause them some sort of hardship, you can apply for a waiver. Got it. So is this new approach being considered due to any statistical increase in overstays during this administration's period? Once again, the facts and figures. Yes, yes, I love the facts and figures. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> President Trump issued a memo, uh, as you had mentioned, on April 26, 2019, requesting the Secretary of State, along with the Attorney General and the Secretary of Homeland Security, to determine ways that we can reduce the number of overstays from, and the way in which the report breaks it down, it's specific to this uh, Department of Homeland Security report for fiscal year 2018 for visa overstays, mm -hmm. breaks it down into visa waiver countries for visitors, non-visa waiver countries for visitors, students, other immigrant benefits like the H-1B, work visas, things like that. Sure. Um, and then they separate Canadians and Mexicans. But some analysts question the administration's strategy of targeting countries with high overstay rates rather than countries with a high number of overstaying individuals. Chad has a overstay rate or a suspected overstay rate about 20%. But that only translates to about 140 people in 2017. Whereas you have a country like the United Kingdom, which has more than 23,000 overstays uh, suspected in 2017. So although the rate for the United Kingdom is very low, the numbers, 23,000, is much more than 140. Based on this data, in fiscal year 2018, there were 666,000 uh, overstays. Mm -hmm. But contrast that to fiscal year 2017, and there were 701,000 uh, visa overseas. So actually, it's technically gone down a, a little decrease. bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, not by a lot. It's, right. uh, you know, statistically probably very similar. Um, but we're not seeing a huge increase based on those two years. So what are the countries that are mainly being targeted? The metric in which the president has decided to use is what's called a visa overstay rate. And okay. what that looks at is the total number of expected departures by country of nationality um, and then compared to those who actually departed and, and who are suspected to be remained in the United States. So the memorandum states that we should really be concentrating on visitors um, from national from countries that have a visa overstay rate that exceeds 10 percent. 10 percent. So if you look at the report, that narrows it down to 20 countries mm. and of those 20 countries, they are largely African countries. Um, 12 of the 20 are uh, countries in Africa. So some state that this memo uh, disproportionately impacts African visitors. If the government decided that they were going to limit um, B1, B2 tourist 
business visas to people from African nations, you could bring a claim based on discrimination and say that this rule change or this administrative change is arbitrary and actually based in discrimination. Analysts point out there may be another reason why the administration is focusing on countries with high overstay rates. These countries are smaller countries and that the administration may feel that it's easier to deal with them than trying to tackle a large country in which we have a lot of interactions with, like Canada or Mexico or the United Kingdom. Canada, Mexico and the United Kingdom are countries with the top five highest number of total overstays as well as Brazil and Venezuela. The Trump administration says it considers tackling visa overstays a priority to protect American taxpayers. So this overstay rate exceeding 10%, is that like a good metric to use? I don't think so. Um, I disagree with the use of the overstay rate as a metric. Instead, I think we should look at the total overstays. And the reason I say that is if you look at the 20 countries that are listed that have this rate that exceeds 10%, um, and you sum up the total number of overstays from all of those countries, it only adds up to roughly 36,000 overstays. Mm -hmm. However, if you look at the biggest offenders for total overstays, overstays. Canada had over 88,000 visitors that overstayed. Um, Likewise, Mexico had over 43,000. Brazil had over 36,000. And Venezuela had over 35,000. So I don't know if looking at this particular metric is really going to solve the issue at hand. Mm -hmm. So we we have a pretty good understanding of why they're trying to implement more uh, severe penalties for overstays. In terms of specifics, what are the particular restrictions that they're trying to entertain? So we don't know just yet what exactly Mm -hmm. they're looking at um, doing to fix this issue. Mm -hmm. So the Secretary of State has until August 20th of 2019 to issue his first recommendation to combat overstays for visitors from non-visa waiver uh, countries, and then until October 19th of 2019 to issue recommendations for visa overstays from visa waiver countries. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, it's important to note here that while both of those are required by the memorandum, There are no visa waiver countries that have an overstay rate that exceeds 10%. Mm, So I'm not sure if that means ultimately that there is not going to be a recommendation for those countries um, because it hasn't Mm. met that threshold. We'll just have to wait and see. But what is referenced uh, specifically in the memo is admission bonds, which I actually think is a fairly creative solution. I had never heard of this before. Mm. So essentially how this would work is when – you are entering the United States as a visitor, you would be required to post a bond in the form of some sort of payment. And then once you depart the United States, you get to take that money back. Uh, So it's an incentive to leave when you're supposed to. I have no idea how in reality that would actually work. I'm really (laughs) interested to see what the Secretary of State uh, reports. uh, He has until August 20th of 2019 to issue a status report on what that program would look like. So I'm interested in a couple of things. One, would they have to create a whole new system? I'm assuming they would to accept these fees, track these fees, refund these fees. And then also, what would that cost? Right. right. Because anytime you implement something new, generally there's a cost associated with it. And one of the reasons in which President Trump issued this memo was because 
of the resources that it was taking to combat these overstays visas in the first place. So I'm curious to see if it would actually even help out in that respect. In order of how do we track it? How would you track the people? How much do you have to pay for it? Mm -hmm. It's it's going to take some uh, additional resources, which they're already trying to allocate in many different areas. Mm -hmm. So that will just be one additional thing. Yeah, and I'm also interested to see if there's going to be any research into what impact that will have on the rate of visitors to the United States, whether it be for business or pleasure, because that will obviously have an impact on revenue in the United States, especially if you're looking at tourism, right? We've got Mm -hmm. tons of foreign national tourists in the United States. And and would this deter someone from coming to the United States as opposed to another country where they don't have to pay such a bond? Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, that's that's not the only thing that that has been floated out there as an idea. We're also looking at the possibility of suspensions or limiting visas from these countries um, with the higher visa overstay rate, or possibly, um, which is kind of something that's already been used in the past, is an additional fee. So if this is you know a country where their foreign nationals are consistently overstaying their visas, there would be what's called a reciprocity fee mm. added to the additional visa fee, application fee to begin with that they would have to pay that would then supplement the resources that we're spending as a country to kind of track and and deal with these overstays. Right. So with this memo, when are they expected to decide on this? Is there a, a date that they've given? So there's no date to implement anything, but we are waiting for the Secretary of State to issue his recommendation on what would a program like this look like. Uh, Mm -hmm. So the first deadline is August 20th of 2019, and then the second deadline is October 19th of 2019. So, you know, I certainly think that at this point, we just kind of wait and see what the Secretary of State issues, Mm -hmm. and then we can come back and have another conversation about what that program looks like. For more content and immigration updates, please visit our website at EIGlaw.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter at EIG underscore law to join the conversation. Thank you for listening. See you next time.